All right. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we are rolling into another episode of the Candace Owens show. We get in trouble for a lot of things on the show, but I would say the blowback is the swiftest and the hardest when it comes to discussing transgenderism. I have uh, made myself an en- an enemy of the transgender lobby, and I, I stand by my claims um, that I believe this lobby is vicious and it's dangerous, particularly in the ways that it impacts children. Here to discuss this with me, I am honored to be sitting across from Walt Heyer. He is a public speaker and the author of a book entitled Trans Life Survivors. Walt Heyer, welcome to The Candace Owens Show. Candace, thank you so much for having me on. I'm thrilled to be here to be able to talk about this very important subject. I mean, so you and I got in touch. I had done the episode with Abigail Schreier, mm-hmm. and, and her and I sort of discussed um, what's really going on, which most parents aren't aware of in the school system. Right. Um, uh, and in many cases, they're sitting across from children, and teachers are telling children that they can pick their genders. And this this as a point of confusion and what it does for a child um, I find it threatening. I find it threatening to me as someone who's going to have, hopefully, God willing, have children of my own someday. Mm-hmm. I think that if we don't get in front of it, it's going to be very dangerous. So you had contacted our show. Um, and and what was the impetus behind you contacting us? Well, somebody had written me that had watched your show and you were interviewing somebody that said, um, you said, boy, I'd like to interview somebody that's been through this and gone back. And so they sent me an email and says, get a hold of Candace right away because she's <laughs> looking for you. And so that's when I contacted uh, your producer and we got together and that's why we're here today. So you lived your life as a trans woman. Mm-hmm. How many years? For eight years. Eight years. That's a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and what? how old were you when you began to transition? I was in my early 40s. Oh, okay. Around 42 and then I uh, began to detransition at 50. Okay. So I want to start from the very beginning. Sure. Um, so, and, I'll, and I will play the person that has all of the arguments um, on the left, right? Sure. So children, they say, uh, do not have a gender. There is no such thing. It's a made-up concept. Um, and you should wait for the child to decide, not based on their biological body, but ba- based on their mind, uh, whether they are male or female. Did you grow up in a household where that was encouraged? Well, in in the household that I was in, I was, you know, my mom and dad encouraged, you know, our natural genders, but it was my grandma when she was babysitting me that somehow we got involved in this whole thing because she was uh, made dresses and I became curious about this idea of her making dresses. So she made me a purple chiffon dress and then she began to affirm how cute I looked. How old were you? I was four. Four years old. And so this affirmation process, which, you know, as a four-year-old, you don't know. I mean, it's grandma, so it's got to be okay. Mm. And so when you have an adult encouraging you and nurturing you along in this way, you don't realize that th- this curiosity that you have as a child is also a quiet curiosity because you're really trusting the adult to guide you, to nurture you, and give you good information. I didn't realize what grandma was doing was going to be very destructive later on. So the consequences of her affirming me became very destructive. I think it's actually evil, and it's child abuse to to indicate that you can change genders at such a young age. And, and I'm speaking from 74 years of experience, so it's not like I came to this and just came to this conclusion. I've got 74 years to develop this idea of 
that we're talking about. I want to pause there and talk a little bit about what you just said, the affirmations that come from adults, because I, and I tell people this all the time, I nannied um, throughout school and the things that would come out of children's mouths. I mean, they're wildly imaginative. Um, everything can be their reality. Um, and our job as adults is to tell them that it's not. And I had a young girl who was three, so about the same age that you were, and she was convinced she was a mermaid. Yeah. <laughs> and I fortunately did not then turn to her and say, you are indeed a mermaid. You stay in that bathtub and you swim around. Um, and she'd cry if she had to get out of the tub, you know, because she, she really felt that she was a mermaid. Who knows where she got this idea from? Right. But our job as an adult is to make sure that kids know the difference between uh, reality um, and something that is just within their imagination. And there are so many examples. She had a younger brother. Um, if you leave shoes on the ground, female shoes have heels on them. Curious kid. He's going to stick his feet in those heels and start walking. Mm -hmm. um, so it's interesting that we've suddenly arrived into a society where people say, well, no, no, pay attention to that. That that kid is actually, he has the authority uh, to dictate that there's something else that he wants at the end of that. So your grandmother made you a dress. Right. And you mm -hmm. were four years old. Yeah. And so then that, that whole thing began what today they would call gender dysphoria, but it's really just child abuse wrapped up in a purple dress that she made for me. And that confused my idea about who I was. You actually introduce gender confusion or gender dysphoria. Mm -hmm. You're not born with it. You're not born with a different brain. You're not born in the wrong body. All people are at conception, their gender and sex are fixed. After that, then adults play with this idea. And that's what grandma was doing with me and confusing me. So, um, that idea planted in my head, it really upset me. I mean, I'd go to bed at night wondering, should I have been a girl? What's wrong with me? And so, you know, this is in the 40s, Candace, before they even had the term gender dysphoria or any other term, transgenderism. I was dealing with this all on my own. But the, the key thing here is that not only is it it's child abuse in its results, because my uncle who found out by the time I was about seven years old, my parents finally found out what grandma had done and I was taken out of grandma's house and I wasn't allowed to go over there anymore. But once my uncle realized that I had been wearing a purple dress, then I became his opportunity to be sexually molested. He started sexually molesting me because of the purple dress. Oh. So if you, if you realize that what grandma did was child abuse because it resulted in me being sexually abused. And it was wrong to even indicate that I could change genders because it's categorically impossible. Wow. So this is actually another component of this. Recently in the news, there have been a lot of stories where um, this transgender movement has allowed um, for a lot of situations like this, um, whether it's sexual assault, sexual uh, abuse, that it's happening to minors. And there have it, it's they're saying now, hey, if you can pick, change your mind, you can decide that you're a woman and you're a grown man. Well, that allows that grown man to go into female bathrooms and to have access. And there was this case, and I believe it was in Canada, where a man who had, hadn't had even um, gone through gender reassignment surgery was demanding that females, uh, you know, wax his private areas. Yes. He was demanding that. Right. And then it turned out um, and now he's being accused of pedophilia. He had been messaging some younger girls. So that, for me, is for you to say that this led to your eventual molestation is is very, very alarming and scary for me because it's indicative of something that we're seeing happen right now, and the media is largely ignoring it. 
That's right. And what happens when you begin to introduce these ideas that you can change your gender, change your sex, is you, you begin the early sexualization of children, which is abhorrent. It shouldn't be done. It shouldn't be allowed. We're interfering with their natural development. These are children that are exploring every opportunity and trusting adults to guide them and to nurture them properly, but introducing all this sexuality and all of these things at such an early age uh, is very disturbing. And today, I work with hundreds of people who've been through this. And, and what I'm seeing is that up, up to 50% of them have been sexually abused. Wow. And so sexual abuse is kind of a common issue that happens with this ideology. Wow, that's really interesting. So my question then is, were you spending the majority of the time at your grandmother's house when you were a kid? Is that what was going on? Because you said your, your mother didn't know right. that she was putting you in this purple dress. Right. So they, my parents loved to go camping and fishing. So they would drop me off at grandma's house and they would go away for the weekend quite frequently. Mm -hmm. So this began to develop over time. So I was two years into this cross-dressing thing before my parents found out. I became so interested in being affirmed in that purple dress. I mean, I, I wanted to be affirmed. And what young child doesn't want that affirmation to say, wow, you look great, you're this, you're that. And there's that thirst. You almost become addicted to the affirmation that I took the purple dress home, which was supposed to stay at grandma's. I took it home and my mom found the dress. That's how it got exposed. Wow. And so then things blew up and the purple dress disappeared, but the seed was planted and the destruction had started. And that that abuse of ideas began to foster in my head and just fomented over years. Mm. And it troubled me. And, you know, here I am talking about this 74 years later. I mean, how destructive is it to be dealing with something that happened and you're still talking about it 74 years later. It's a pretty big deal. Wow. Yeah. And so you're, you then went to your uncle's house and then you said that your uncle molested you. What happened? What's the next phase of Walt's life? Well, the next phase of Walt's life was it, I, you know, I told my parents what Uncle Fred did and they said, no, you're a liar. Uh, Uncle Fred would never do that. How old were you? I was by this time about seven or eight years old. Wow. And so then what I realized was that I couldn't, talk to adults about what was going on. You know, I had this thing with the purple dress and be, that blew up the family between my mom and, and her mom. And then talking about what Uncle Fred did, then I began to internalize all my feelings. I just brought him in and then I began to be kind of a, a jokester, a funny guy, use a sense of humor to try to deal with what was hurting me inside because I didn't know exactly who I was. I was now dealing with sexual abuse. And so as I went on through life, um, I was still dealing with these things. By the time I was 13 or 14 years old, I secretly took on a female name while I was not dressing as a female, but I was inside internalizing that female person. I called myself Andrea and began to identify. And so you see, I was still dealing with this and all through my teens and uh, what's interesting, too, is that I was never homosexual. And I think this is such an important component to this. I work with hundreds of transgender people today that are wanting to detransition, people who find regret. My, my website, Sex Change Regret, people contact me. And 95% of them are not homosexual. 
And so the idea that there are, this is an issue of homosexuality, I think people need to understand it's an idea that was introduced to them about their gender. It's not necessarily about their sexuality. So they become gender confused. And so with that whole early life, I was so confused about who I was and I was trying to act it out inside and went on through my teens. I had a girlfriend. Her name was Lola. I mean, is that a great name for a girlfriend when I was in high school? So <laughs> Lola was my girlfriend. She was one of the sharpest girls it was right over here, not far from where we are when I went to high school. And so um, I had girlfriends. I had um, a hot rod 34 Ford with a Corvette engine in it. I mean, I grew up very looking very normal on the outside, but hurting deeply inside because of that abuse that happened to me as a young person, trying to deal with how to how you work through that. Mm. This is interesting as a philosophy, the idea that the transgender uh, movement is is really a band-aid for something else. And many people that find themselves in 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 this trans space are really hurting in a different regard, but they don't have an opportunity to address that hurt because externally now we have a world that is telling them, yes, 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 this is this is what you are. It's okay. There's a home here. And anybody that has the audacity to speak up and say, wait, wait, hold on a second. These are mm -hmm. big decisions that we're talking about gets attacked. And that's why I say the trans lobby is and I say this like is, is plausibly the most vicious lobby that is out there right now. They take down reputations. They want your job. If you even ask a question, a simple question, right. like should children be transitioning? Is there maybe something else going on here? Yes. And, you know, you are so right about the Band-Aid. Every single person that I've worked with over the last 10 years, 100% of them can identify the issue, the time, the hurt, the pain, the loss that caused them to not want to be who they are and begin to identify as a different gender. Right. Every last one of them, they can articulate that. They can tell me what happened. Right. And so- So it, in that regard, it becomes a mental disorder, which is what I say, and I get killed for this, but it's the same as post-traumatic stress disorder. I mean, something happened to you, and this is how you are dealing with the something that happened to you. And unfortunately, we're not able to to treat that or or to assess that plausibility when you have people that are, are not allowing it and, and a society that culturally is saying no. And it's bizarrely hitched its wagon to the LGB movement. And I can't figure out what being lesbian or gay, which is really a sexual preference, has anything to do with gender dysphoria. Well, it doesn't. And, and the fact of the matter is these individuals, like you say, th there's a word for it. It's called comorbidities. And they either have body dysmorphia. Say this again. I actually don't know this word. Yeah. I love to learn. Comorbidities, which comorbidities. means that they're identifying them as being gender dysphoric. But underneath that is actually body dysmorphia, dissociative disorder, mm. bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, some other issue is generated. They've been sexually abused. Something has happened to them, and you are so right to use the word Band-Aid, and because that's all it is. Mm. It's a Band-Aid over some hurt, and it's a way to escape, and this is where the dissociation comes in. You, you don't want to be who you are, so you attempt to become someone else, and you don't want to be who you are because you got hurt. Something happened to you. And every case is different, but so many of them deal with abuse that we can't ignore the fact that these individuals who are struggling deeply need good psychotherapy, but yet the opposition wants to take away the opportunity for the people to 
have access to psychotherapy, the very thing that would actually help them prevent an unnecessary gender change surgery and hormones that I went through. Wow. This is so important. So so let's go back to high school. So you've got a girlfriend, you're living a, you know, externally, you're living a very normal life. Absolutely. Internally, there's a lot of conflict going on. Right. What happens next? Well, you know, then I told uh, Lola Joy Phipps, I said, you know, I'm struggling with these issues. And and there was another opportunity for me to see how that was going to work in, in dealing with telling somebody something. Well, she let me go. So I, I realized that I couldn't talk about it to anybody. So I couldn't talk about the sexual abuse. I couldn't talk about the purple dress. Now I can't talk about what I'm struggling with. So I, I ended up eventually getting married. I was an executive for American Honda Motor Company. I actually worked on the Apollo space mission, so I wasn't a complete buffoon. Um, so I, I was associate design engineer working on NASA specifications for many years and then went on to work in the auto industry. But I was still struggling with that purple dress with... The, the abuse that happened to me at seven. I had not had the kind of therapy that I needed to deal with those issues. And so I was married, had two children, uh, began to use alcohol and drugs to try to cope with that. Mm. Now I'm, uh, I've got a great job at Honda and um, the drugs and alcohol are catching up with me. And so I thought the way to solve this was to go to a gender therapist. And so I went to one in San Francisco and he was recognized as the number one gender therapist in the country at the time. He was so knowledgeable. He was actually the original author of the WPATH standards of care that we have today. I mean, that's how renowned he was. And I went in and told him my story that just like I'm telling you today, and he says, well, you have gender dysphoria or gender identity disorder, and you need to have hormones and surgery to resolve this. And I thought to myself, well, that's pretty radical. And so um, he said, but you need to come back next week and we'll talk about it. So I went back a week later and he said, you know, uh, at the end of the session, he handed me a letter of approval to undergo gender reassignment surgery after the second session. And here's an authorization to get hormones. Now, this sounds crazy, right? That happens every day today. And that was in 1983. Nothing has changed since 1983 today. Don't let them tell you that they go through some exhaustive psychological counseling because it's absolute baloney. It does. They just approve, 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 affirm, 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 give them hormones, give them surgery. It's an assembly line. Right. And so it hasn't changed. So, um, you know, I'm married at the time and, and I'm, I'm married for 16 years and I I told my wife what was going on, and we struggled with this as, as a husband and wife and with the kids. And I'm going, I need, I need to deal with that sexual abuse. I need to deal with what happened as a child. Um, and those abuses now are, are boiling up. By the, This time, I'm now 41, 40, coming up on 42, and I didn't know how to resolve them. There's nobody out there. There's no Walt Heyer saying, watch out. There are comorbidities. There's issues you need to deal with. You really need therapy. And so with, without that context to be able to deal with these issues, I went ahead and started taking female hormones okay. and started going through the process. And then once this process started, I, I was, you know, it, this is 1983. It wasn't like it is today. You're dealing with internalizing so much of this. And so I had the affirmation from the, the psychologist who says you need this. 
I divorced my wife. In April of 1983, I underwent gender reassignment surgery at Trinidad, Colorado, and became Laura Jensen. Well, once Honda found out about it, they terminated me. They put all my stuff in a box. I was an executive. Mm. I was the national operations manager for the ports of entry. I had a great job. And they put my stuff in a box and waltzed me to the gate, and I was dismissed. I want to. I want to go back to you saying that the doctor said yes, this is what you need, and then you made the decision then to divorce your family. And because I had I had hit on that in an earlier episode of the show, which was that when all of society, people that you trust, right, you go to a doctor and you trust them to, right. to give you an assessment. You trust that they're the experts and that they're trying to help you and not hurt you. Right. And this is a big part of the problem uh, with the transgender movement. Um, and it's not that these parents are, are doing this in bad faith, right? No. Their kid says something and parents consult online. They go online, they get they make an appointment with their doctor, they go to the doctor and they say, I really want to help. I want to help my kid. My kid said this. Rather than a doctor saying, hey, you know, kids say weird stuff, right? Yeah. Or maybe you should go go speak to a psychologist and, and, and see if something happened to the child. They are saying now, here, your kid needs a pill. They need to fully change who they are. They were born into the wrong body. Right. And you did this. This this was the trust you had with your doctor. So you basically said goodbye um, to your entire life as you knew it and went through with gender reassignment surgery, yeah. which is, I mean, was there any, what was the prep up to that? I mean, is there... Well, there, there isn't any prep. You know, they talk about you can question your gender. People should be questioning the psychologist and approving process. That's what they should be questioning. They should actually be going to people who oppose doing this and get a balanced idea of this. But they have now captured this entire audience. Once somebody gets the idea in their head that they're born in the wrong body, that this is the process, you need hormones and surgery... And what's so interesting about this, Candace, in, in 1979, there was an endocrinologist who had worked at a, a hospital at Harry Benjamin's own gender clinic in New York. And he had been working with 500 transgender individuals over a six-year period. As a, He was a homosexual activist for transgender surgeries, had approved all of these and worked with these individuals. 1979, he came out and said, I'm going to become a psychiatrist. Because as a result of these six years and these 500 people I've seen, it's causing too much unhappiness mm. and causing too many suicides. Suicide rates of people and that transition. And he said, the only way that I feel like I can help them is become a psychiatric doctor because this idea that we can give them hormones and surgery only deals with surface issues. It doesn't go deep enough to resolve the deeper issues. I'm going to do that as a psychiatric doctor. I want to help them. So... We had, we had this news in 1979 that hormones and surgery is not the answer. He said it's only a temporary reprieve. That's his quote, not mine. Right. And, and the thing is, is, and that's exactly right, the suicide rates of people that transition are astronomical. 19 are, times higher. 19 times higher. And our media ignores that. Yes. In favor of, of some virtue signaling idea that this is progressive, at accepting every idea and, and what a person is feeling, that's somehow progressive and going to help save the world. And Candace, they're even using the, the idea that you can transition people as a suicide prevention. You know, they say this is a way to prevent suicide. It's nonsense. The actual surgical process, changing genders, is causing them to attempt and commit suicide 19 times greater than the general population. It is actually the hormones and surgery that is causing the suicides. It's not society. 
It's the lack of people digging into the comorbidities and looking at what's causing them to want to commit suicide. We know today that 90% of all suicides are a result of depression, and depression is never treated in this group. They treat depression with hormones and surgery. I mean, it's insane to treat depression with hormones and surgery, but that's what they do. The amount of hormones that you have to take is is a lot, right? I mean, right. I mean, how does that impact you? I want to talk about just the, the emotional state that you're in when you're taking so many hormones every single day, day in and day out. Well, there, you know, the, the initial start before you undergo the complete change of genitalia and that sort of thing is that it has this kind of calming effect. It's almost like a drug. Mm. And I think you become addicted to that calming. It's a, it, And I think that's part of the problem. Mm. Not only is it unnecessary, but it begins to alter the way you think, feel, and behave and put you in this calming state. And for that reason, I think that's why Dr. Uh, the doctor I spoke about said, this is not good. We shouldn't be doing this because eventually you wean down on the hormones because of the surgeries done. Then the depression begins to build. Mm -hmm. And so that that glow, if you want to call it that, is no longer there. You, you begin to face the reality that this isn't working. I, I have confusion about my gender now that after I've changed my gender. It didn't go away. So it you have a gender reassignment and and you, you heal. And what, what are the things that are going through your head? Well, I'm going, you know, can I can you really change into a woman? And then you start to realize that, wow, it is categorically impossible. In fact, it's a shame that women don't stand up and say, you know, women are much more than a man with his altered genitalia and hormones in him. Mm -hmm. I mean, women are really special, beautiful individuals. And to say that they're nothing more than a man with altered genitals and hormones is pretty abhorrent. It is pretty abhorrent. And, and that's a shot at the modern feminist movement, in my opinion. And we're starting to see now ways in which they don't intersect, or which they are trying to intersect, but doesn't really work when you suddenly say that men uh, can jump in into female events, Olympic events, and, and they can compete at a higher, obviously, they're they're performing much better than women are because they are biologically different. But well, this, is, this is what the transgender lobby has bred. And we don't have enough people that are strong enough to stand up and speak out and say, this is absolutely wrong. And, and so you're right, it is an insult uh, to being a woman and to femininity. Um, but it's, it's, it's jarring to me. So you, you did all of this and according to your doctor, and maybe not society at the time, it's not as popularized then as it is now, you should be fine. Right, yeah. But what you realize is, and this is when I get the letters from the people who write me, they say, I realize I can't be a woman. I'm not a woman. Wow. And what they really are, these men who dress up in women's clothes are not transgender. They're men in women's clothes. Mm -hmm. They're not women. They can never be women. And for me to have to address them as women is is really kind of upsetting because they're not. They're men in dresses. They're they're. It's like Halloween every day. That's what came up for me. It's like I'm just living out Halloween. It's a Halloween costume. Right. You're mimicking. You're trying to mimic in this very childlike way what a woman is and. Yes, they can look like women in many cases. Many of them don't, but they can look like a woman, but they're never going to be women. It's not possible. Why are we allowing our society to address these people of women, like you mentioned in the athletic area? This is crazy. It's 
They're not women. And then what's crazy also is this idea that now I have to use the correct pronouns to make somebody else feel okay. And you're considered a monster if somebody, you know, views themselves as a woman, you don't call that person a she. Or if someone views themselves as a man, you don't call um, that that person a mister. You're, you're viewed as a monster. So we now are unfortunately gearing towards society, which is saying that if you have two eyes and nothing's wrong with you, right? And you see reality for what it is. I see a cat and I call it a cat. I see a dog and I call it a dog. You're a bigot. Yeah. How did we get here? Well, the, these advocates have taken control of speech. They've taken control of society. They're putting it in our schools. They're teaching kids at a young age. And You know, society, a healthy psychological society is built on families. And kids are the core of the next generation. And if we're ripping our kids apart in school with this ideology, we're ruining even the next generation. And this is why it's so critical to address this issue. We should not be teaching children in school that they can change genders. It's not a vending machine for genders. Mm -hmm. This is a critical issue that needs to be removed from the school. LGBT material doesn't need to be in our public schools. Reading, writing, arithmetic is what we need in our schools, not LGBT agenda stuff. You know what? You just said a very important word, family. And and this is what I have gotten at, and this has been a conclusion that I have drawn, that ultimately what we're seeing is this push to ultimately break down the family. The men think they're women. The women want to go out and act like men, and they want everybody to say, oh, this is, this is normal, this is progressive, and they're destroying the nuclear family unit. And, and I think that even within that is, is what is the goal of that? Why are we seeing this push to destroy what was once considered a normal family? Yeah, I, I believe that, the, you know, to me, it looks deliberate. I can't say it's deliberate. Right, we don't but know. It, but it looks like it's deliberate to, to tear down every foundational part of society mm. and family and children are at the core of it. And you ruin this, you ruin everything. Yeah, it becomes chaos. And and, yes. and from and from chaos, you can see um, it allows government to grow because that's what they're really demanding. They're, they're demanding more governance in all of these areas um, and things that once made sense. They're basically trying to confuse every single person that's there. And you said earlier, and I want to talk about that and address it, this over-sexualization of children is yes. really bizarre to me. Yeah. The idea that we should be teaching children this stuff at such a young age, you know, before prepubescent and talking about this stuff is confusing to a child. As, I, as I've mentioned on previous episodes, there was a two-year stint, I think fourth and fifth grade, <laughs> where I wanted to be like the boys because they looked like they were having more fun. Mm -hmm. So I used to like try to talk in a deeper voice. And when I used to go on and play recess, I would run around with the guys. I thought girls were so lame and I'd, I'd wear baggier clothes. And then you know what happened? I hit puberty and suddenly I thought the guys were cute. Fortunately, at that time when I was running around saying, I want to be a boy, my mom didn't say shave your head and, and, and called me Michael. She right. didn't do any of that. It was, right. you're still Candace, you're a girl, you're going to grow up out of this, this tomboy phase, as I like to think of it as. And now we have a, an entirely different world and it's really scary to see and to listen to the path that your grandmother put you in a purple dress and you went all the way through to gender reassignment surgery and yeah. woke up one day and how long, eight years later, what were those eight years like living as a woman? Well, they were, some of it was good. You okay. know, I thought I was okay, you know, but then there were those, those bouts of you know, you're really not a woman. I mean, in that quiet moment, you go, you really, this is all kind of nonsense. And, and those are the moments where you come to this reality. And 
and then you begin to question it, but you don't know what to do with it. You've got it. You've done it. And then how difficult is it to admit you made such a big mistake? Yeah. You've just totally destroyed your life. Now, how do you rebuild it? And it wasn't until I was studying psychology at UC Santa Cruz and I cracked open a book where there was a study about a boy who became a girl in there. And, and I read the story and what happened was his mother had died. He was very close to his mother. And, and he, they said, took on his mother's identity as a female so he would feel like he was still close to her. And the term that they used in the book for that was separation anxiety. And I thought, whoa, this is a psychological disorder. That was the turning point for me looking at this as more of a disorder and begin to look at what happened to me as being causal to wanting me to not be who I was and having an effect on my psyche. And what I've realized is that many of the people that I've worked with who've been sexually abused, boys as an example, uh, if they were sexually abused, want to rid themselves of their genitalia so that they will never be sexually abused again. It's not so much that they want to be a female. It's that that's their defense mechanism for not being abused. That's what caused them, they feel, in their head to be abused. So if it's gone, then I'm safe. And in the female who becomes a male, then they will put on the idea that they're a man as a way to defend against men trying to abuse them sexually. That is so interesting because I, I, I do remember reading a story about a woman um, and, you know, she was overweight by like 400 pounds and what had really happened was that she was sexually abused when she was young and eating and making herself look disgusting became a defense mechanism so that men wouldn't look at her ever want to sexually assault her again and and then she got addicted to the food and obviously she ended up in a different space so because she had never addressed that sexual assault she ended up being overweight so and and, and being clinically obese so what you're saying is this is another this is just another lane of the exact same thing it can be another lane of the exact same thing Absolutely. It, in many ways, these are defense mechanisms against hurt, against pain, against loss. Candace, when people write me and tell me that they, they regret having done it, I write back and say, tell me about your childhood. Wow. And usually within two or three emails, I can find out that they had a dad who abused them, a dad who was abandoned them. Um, something happened. And this is what I always say. Something happened to them. If we can spend enough time to dig in and find out what happened to them, then we can begin to treat the what happened mm. and avoid giving them unnecessary hormones and avoid changing and altering their body forever. And, this, and then we can reduce the suicides. Then we can address the issue that you don't have to go to that vending machine and pick a gender. You need to go to a good, effective, kind psychotherapist who can identify the comorbid disorder or the issue that you had that caused you to not want to be who you are, then we can begin to address these issues and begin to save children's lives and begin to understand that in this category of people who identify as transgender, adult men as an example, people have never heard this word in many cases. There's a term called autogynephilia. And men who come out as a transgender person are suffering from what's called autogynephilia. And that is a sexual fetish disorder. And many of them were married men. And what they do is they dress up as a female and look at themselves in the mirror. They got all the makeup, everything is on. 
and they're looking at themselves, they become the object of their own affection. Wow. And that's called autogynephilia. And that's one of the primary issues in older adults. They're not transgender. Mm. They're suffering from autogynephilia. Then you have another one that's called a transvestic fetish, where these adult men will attach themselves to some garment of clothing and become aroused by it. They're not transgender. They're dealing with a what is called a transvestic fetish disorder. But we're not allowing people to go to therapy to address these issues. And so we have many disorders. You know, people, some of them are just plain old cross-dressers. They really don't want surgery. They're just cross-dressers, do it for the fun of it. But they get identified with gender dysphoria, then they unnecessarily go through surgery and have hormones and then write later and say, I never should have done that. I really wasn't you know, uh, somebody who needed surgery. Right. And so we have this literally masses. I get them every single day from somebody writing me saying, this was a mistake. Can you help me? I have the regret issues, Candace, start as early as nine days after surgery. Oh, my goodness. Nine days. You've had someone contact, contact nine you nine days, days after post-op. surgery, post-op, to as many as 30 years after surgery. I've had two at 30 years saying it took me 15 years to admit that it was a mistake because it's so hard to admit that it was a mistake. It, and it took you eight years, eight years for you to say, this was a mistake. Yeah. What was that moment like for you? What was the moment where you said, this was a mistake and I need to do something to reverse this mistake? Yeah. Well, it was the biggest emotional breakdown that I've ever had. I mean, I collapsed under the weight of it. Um, And what I had done is I had gone to a psychotherapist uh, on Wilshire Boulevard and talked to them extensively. And they said, you know, uh, you were dealing with child abuse and you were dealing with these other issues uh, that should have been properly addressed. And that therapist at that time said, I don't think you're going to be able to detransition because you're so entrenched into this life that you're in. And I think her saying that actually made it possible for me to go, oh, yeah, I'll get this done. And so it was that determination to make her wrong. And I I continued to fight back. And I've detransitioned in 1990. So we're almost 30 years into my detransition. Wow. So what is the process of detransitioning? Well, the process of detransitioning can take on a lot of different forms. And First off, you stop taking any female hormones. Second off, um, you take off any breast enhancements. You get any other surgeries that you can possibly get. Um, Some people go for what's known as the phalloplasty, which is uh, male genitalia put back on. It's the same process they use for the female who wants to be a male. But we should understand that the surgery is not all that effective. It's not going to function like it should Mm. or did originally. It's more of a cosmetic process. Mm. And so uh, that can actually be more detrimental to people to go through that and realize that, you know, they lost all of what they had. And people who go through detransition really need to be very strong emotionally. They need to be very strong psychologically. They have to be clean and sober to be able to do this because it is really a difficult process and it will take one to two years like it did for me. But I was surrounded by good psychotherapists and good people, and some of them in my church, and some of them uh, I lived with a pastor for a while. And so 
you know, it takes a lot of people to come around somebody and help them through this process. And that's what I do. I try to work with people who contact me. I've gone and met with them personally. I'm working with a school teacher right now, with a pharmacist. I've worked with airline pilots and many other people. But I try to get them into a group that can help and support them through the process. Many people who regret will never detransition because they just see it as too big of a task. It is, and and, I, and and that's understandable. And I actually almost feel that conversations like this, this is actually supporting the transgender community, right? This is actually saying to them, you know, there's other routes that you can take. There might be something that happened to you that you haven't, that hasn't been addressed. And when you try to blanket say, all of you guys you immediately just need to transition to it into a different uh, sex, it's, it's so wrong, it's a different gender. It is so wrong. Absolutely. It's so wrong. I mean, it, it's it's gender it's mutilation. It's body mutilation, and and you're just readily saying that to someone after seeing them one or two times. If this is exactly the route that they should take, no questions asked. Which brings me to my next question. Yes. Do you think we will start to see the rise of lawsuits? It, yes, there already have been, but they get them sealed. And interesting. And so they don't go public. I know personally somebody who won a lawsuit big time. And so these lawsuits don't get the public attention and they're willing to settle, but they'll settle only if no one knows about it. Interesting. And so they're they're able to tamp down any of the, the voices that are oppositional by keeping these things secret. There's a lot of people winning lawsuits. I, I but hope, you will I never hope, know about it. I hope that these people become, you know, the, the next person that steps up. That there's an example of someone who does it publicly, um, and 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 I know that's hard because you're already dealing with the emotional trauma of realizing you've made a decision. But we need to start putting people, th these doctors. I mean, they should know better than this to to, to be giving people hormones as a permanent solution um, and and telling them to transition. You are literally ruining someone's life, and you know the statistics. These doctors know the statistics of suicide that happen when somebody makes a permanent transition. So to be glorifying this, to see this now being glorified in the media, right? To see a, a Caitlyn Jenner on the cover of what, what magazine was it? Vanity Fair? Yeah. And, and and seeing this sort of sweeping celebration, winning awards. That's not that's not what transgenderism and transitioning is all about. We know that. We know that it's a struggle. We we have statistics. We can look at the research and say, right. and yet it's being glamorized. Right. We don't know how Caitlyn's going to feel eight years, 10 years, 20 years down the line. That's right. And we know from even that interview that Caitlyn did on ABC, Caitlyn at one time said came out of doing some surgery or something and that night paced the floor thinking about suicide. Wow. That, that, that's on their own film. Mm -hmm. So we know that these things trigger, you know, you have a lot of emotional, deep emotional issues, but... You know, we're dealing with a population who needs help. They they need help, They but they need people to help them identify what's causing them to feel this way. Thankfully, I came to this through a psychotherapist and with other people and, and been able to walk back. And now working with people, I see them as an example, go to psychotherapy and they say, gee, if they would have done that with me before I had hormones mm -hmm. or before I had surgery, I never would have done it. And now what I'm seeing, Candace, is people from 18, 19, 20, and 21 years old contacting me because they changed so quickly at 18 because it was legal. And then they go, I shouldn't have done it. I'm working with a nice young lady in Georgia right now and with another man in, in another state who just, uh, he said it was a mistake. I don't know why 
they told me that hormones and surgery was the best thing for me because it's not. It's ruined my life. I'll never have children. Right. That's the saddest part. It's a permanent decision. You will never be able to have children again. Right. And yet again, we have this, this this cultural brainwashing that's taking place at the highest levels of society. Yeah. I mean, Meghan Markle publicly stating, we're going to let our child choose their gender. Do you know what harm that does? When you begin to normalize something like that and no one's having the conversations publicly that you and I are having culturally, there are... There aren't many shows that are tackling this issue because people no. don't want to be put on some Im imaginary blacklist. Right. I mean, look what happened to Mario Lopez. He yeah. said the most non-controversial thing ever on this show, which is, I don't think children, uh, you know, should be making permanent decisions. I think, you know, they need to wait and become an adult before they make big decisions. They asked for his show to be canceled. Yeah. They made his show issue an apology saying they, this does not reflect our viewpoint. Yeah. They made it seem like this was some attack on people and that, and that what he said was regressive. That's called common sense. Common sense. Right. Children do not have the authority to make permanent decisions. Otherwise, we'd call them adults. Yeah. Well, Mario was right. And it's too bad that he couldn't put on his big boy pants and step up and stick with it. It's hard. And, He's and in Hollywood. Is. Yeah. And so, uh, but I admired him for speaking out. I'm sorry that he had to back down on it. But right. um, so we're dealing with people's lives here. And it's medical malpractice, in my view. Yes. To give people hormones Bingo. and surgery. And, and in my view, these surgeons and doctors should be prosecuted for abusing people to this degree, changing their lives, altering them to such degree that they want to commit suicide as a way to resolve what happened to them. What about the, the, the adults, even in the, in the home? I mean, I, I talked about Charlize Theron having a four-year-old swim in a bathtub and say, Mommy, I'm a boy. And now Charlize Theron dresses her little girl up as a boy, okay? Yeah. That's yeah. child abuse. That is child abuse. People have them removed for homes for less reasons. Confusing your child so young and thinking and treating them as if they were an adult and allowing them to make these decisions that will eventually impact them. You're going around calling your little girl a little boy. And and, and we see with what happened to you. It took one one adult to, to say, you know what? Yes, you look great. You look amazing. Here's a positive affirmation. And it led to this many years, a decision at 40 years old, the transition and, and, and to have, you're basically allowing doctors to mutilate you. Yeah. And, and then eight years later, having the awakening and realizing, oh no, I have to go the other way. Where are the calls to have these parents examined? Yeah, I, that's we're calling for it today. Right. We, we're calling for children to not be put in these places where they're teaching. I th we need to take it out of schools. This has become a recruitment center. Schools have become a recruitment indoctrination center for LGBT ideology. They're ruining kids with this. Books and all of these things that they're introducing to children as early sexualization. Folks, it's child abuse and it's got to stop. It's so funny. There are so many different topics we talk about on the show. I mean, from from socialism to the idea that black people, you know, have to align themselves to the left. And it all goes back to the education system. Yeah. It all goes back to the idea that, you know, our education system is, is actually indoctrinating our youth and it's really scary. And people are making permanent decisions and usually decisions that are not beneficial to them. Um, and, and, and that is just something that needs to be talked about. I mean, I, I don't know. There needs to be a radical adjustment to the things that, that students are taught. They're learning to hate their country. They're learning that socialism is cool. They're learning that they can pick their gender. Really, what has happened to the American school system? Yeah. It's, it's really, and parents say, what do I do? They're teaching this to my children in school. I said, take them out. Yeah. Homeschool. Take them out of schools. That's what I said. I said, the, if this doesn't get fixed, I'll homeschool my kids. Yeah. The public school system's become a sewer for this kind of stuff. And, and it's ruining kids. I'm sorry to say, 
um, our public school systems just not the place to put a healthy child. You know what? But I, I, I do want to end on a positive note because you did get your life back. You yes. got your life back. Yes, I did. Well, and tell me what that, you're married now. Yeah. You know, once I uh, detransitioned and I began speaking out and I was speaking at a, a, to a group of people about recovery and from alcoholism and drug addiction and all the things that I've recovered from, there was a lady in the audience that nudged her friend and said, you know, that's the kind of guy I want, somebody who's been through it all and come out the other side. So we began to um, see each other. We were friends for seven years and and we got married in 1997, and we've been married 22 years. She's a real woman, Candace. <laughs> <laughs> she's wonderful. And uh, so, um, you know, she's my partner in, in all this, and we've been doing this together, and we travel together um, speaking on this issue. And so our ministry that we have uh, is just reaching people around the world. We've reached as many as 300 million people in one year. We get upwards of 300,000 people to our website, sexchangeregret.com. And we're committed to helping people who contact us who have regrets about changing genders to do all we can to help them uh, in any way we can, whether they want to detransition or they just want a friend to be able to talk to them or guidance. So yes, it's all positive and, and, uh, and we get to speak out and, and um, help people. And that is on a positive note. It is. And, and it can't be just you. I mean, I, I hope that your organization grows because I think that um, there are a lot of kids that, that have these emotions that are not being addressed and things that happen to them in their youth. Um, and I think it's much harder. I mean, for, for you, fortunately, there wasn't a society that was around saying, yes, 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 more, 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 more of this. And that is the society that we are in today. I am happy to fall on the sword over and over again um, when it comes to the transgender lobby because I, I draw the line at child abuse and yeah. I am not afraid to be that person. I'm not afraid to be a strong voice against it, but many people are. Um, and I'm just, I'm so grateful, by the way, that you contacted me and that you came on the show today. Uh, we wrap up every episode by allowing you to leave a video message for the world. Um, anything that you want to say, we give you two minutes. You're going to look into that camera and, and you're going to inspire some people. Yeah. Are you ready? I'm... Chris, you got my two minutes. On your mark, get set, world, I give you Walt Heyer. I want the world to know that children are special. They're important. They're valuable. They're our next generation. And what we need to do is prop them up. We need to affirm them the way God made them and encourage them to stay the way they are. If they have issues with their gender, then we need to nurture them along. We need to give them good counseling. We do not need to tell them that gender is a vending machine, that they can select another gender because it's child abuse. We need to stop guiding children in a direction that creates early sexualization for our young people and create a healthy, vibrant young person that can grow up and be a healthy, vibrant adult who will raise healthy, vibrant young people. Thank you. That was wonderful. Thank you so much for joining. Honestly, that was such an honor. Thank you guys for watching the latest episode of The Candace Owens Show. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. As many of you guys already know, PragerU is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, which means we need your help to keep all of our content free to the public. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation today. I would really appreciate your support.